0: Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Big show on the docket for you today. A milestone show as well. Episode 150. Can you believe that we've been doing this for 150 weeks, give or take a few? My God. I wonder what would happen if you added up all the time that this podcast has been going in your ears and see what you could do with that time. You could probably learn a new language. You could probably get to that gym goal that you've been working for. You could probably find the love of your life, but instead, you're sitting here listening to me. Wow, I I owe you so much for that. Well, we got a big show on the docket for you today. Sonoma Raceway's Jill Gregory is going to be with us ahead of Sonoma Raceway's big race weekend coming up here in a little bit going to discuss her career as well she obviously spent a lot of time at NASCAR and did some great things over there plus we got to talk about the coke 600 what a show my goodness gracious previewing gateway and Portland for the first time for cup and Xfinity this weekend but before we do any of that we got to throw it back in this week's Wayback machine to a famous last name and there are many of this famous last name that have competed and continue to compete in nascar but papa siegel is going to focus on one particular that has a tie to the number 50. take it away
1: thank you Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 150. only 321 starts for number 50 and no wins so unlike the 40s which provided us a series of no-brainer choices no obvious candidate jumps out this week if i was choosing based on name alone I might pick Gober Sosby who posted six top 10 finishes out of the 12 races he ran, dating back to NASCAR's inaugural season of 1949. Gober, gotta love that. But if we have to choose based on the meager accomplishments of number 50, I think we'll use this week to look back on the career of Jeffrey Bodine, the Chemung, New York native, see what I did there, Duve, is the eldest of the three racing Bodine brothers. I think Davey's partial to his brother, Todd, also known as The Onion. 24 of Jeff's 575 starts came in number 50, and in 1982, Bodine won Rookie of the Year honors in that car, including two poles and four top five finishes. Bodine won 18 times overall in the Cup Series, including the 1986 Daytona 500. Before coming to NASCAR, he was a superstar in the Northeast Modified Tour, including one year when he won a record 55 races in the series. In one year. He also won an IROC title in 1987, which speaks to the depth and the breadth of his talent. Bodine is perhaps best known for giving Rick Hendrick his first win in NASCAR in 1984. As the story goes, Hendrick was struggling at the time and was seriously considering getting out of NASCAR before Bodine's win. I guess his decision to stay in the sport worked out for him, wouldn't you say? My most vivid memory of Bodine came in 2000 during the inaugural truck series race at Daytona. I was there, sitting near the exit of Pit Road on the front stretch. Bodine was involved in the most violent wreck I think I ever have witnessed. He was part of a four-wide mess in the tri-oval when, right in front of me, they wrecked, and Bodine's truck was vaulted into the catch fence doing close to 190. The impact tore his truck to pieces. As if that wasn't bad enough... One of the other cars in the wreck punted Bodine's driver cage when he came back down onto the track. Then he was hit once again by another truck, setting his ruptured fuel cell on fire. I still recall the eerie silence that fell over the track as everyone, including me, assumed Bodine had been killed. He wasn't. He suffered a concussion and some broken bones but miraculously was back in a car 10 weeks later in Richmond. If you haven't seen that wreck, you gotta check it out. Jeff Bodine was named one of NASCAR's 50 greatest drivers in 1988. Did you know he also builds bobsleds to help the U.S. Olympic team? That's all for this week. Back to you, Duve.
0: Thank you, Dad. Yes, I did know that Jeff Bodine had something to do with the U.S. bobsled team. I think that a lot of people, NASCAR fans maybe not, but a lot of people that may be how they know Jeffrey Bodine's name and that may be his quote-unquote legacy in terms of sports. But that's another story for another day. I want, I want to get Jeffrey on this show at some point to, to hear all the things that went on behind the scenes in terms of the bobsled side of things from him. So maybe we'll get him on down the road. That, that'll be a bucket list thing to take care of. Let's start off this episode, as we always do, with a good, old-fashioned reggaeton! And throw it straight over to our interview with the one, the only, Jill Gregory. She is the EVP and GM of Sonoma Raceway, and she has accomplished a whole heck of a lot in her extensive time and career working in NASCAR and motorsports in general she's obviously going to tell us about the upcoming race weekend at sonoma all the preparations that go into it the exciting new things on tap out in wine country but also her individually how did she get to this point why did she choose to go out west after a really successful stint working in charlotte for nascar what did she do before that as well to get her involved in motorsports and then use that as a springboard to head over to the bar logo at nascar themselves really great conversation with jill she is such an engaging honestly inspirational person in the industry and she has already done great things at sonoma and i'm looking forward to seeing what she and the team can cook up this upcoming weekend out in wine country and for years to come without further ado here's my chat with sonoma raceways jill gregory pleasure to welcome on to the show this week she is the evp and gm of the finest racetrack out west sonoma raceway it is jill gregory so happy to have you on Jill. I've been wanting to get you on for a while and i'm glad that you could carve out some time for me because i know like we were saying it's a very busy week for you you're seeing all the trucks everybody plowing into the racetrack ahead of the race weekend it's got to be busy times out west
2: Really busy time, and I couldn't agree more. The best racetrack, and so we're just we want to get it all ready for all these fans getting ready to come out here.
0: That's right. As of this recording, actually, today there was actually a small fire that was on the property, but all is good. Nobody's hurt. All the sheep are doing well. Everything's fine, right?
2: Yes, all is good. Um, you know, part of what our team here is trained to look for or watch for are fires, unfortunately. So the team jumped on it. Our local firefighters jumped in. No sheep were no sheep were harmed. Good. Uh, no structures. You know, it was on the back side of the property. You know, we have sixteen hundred acres here, so there's a lot of ground to cover, mm-hmm. um, but all clear. And if we're gonna kind of get that done and out of the way, then we'll do that this week, so we can focus on the race for next week.
0: That's right. You're you're, you're literally and figuratively putting out fires in your role, huh?
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or a ticket. I, someone else called. They were like, "Hey, sell, Say tickets are going fast. They're on fire." And like, that's right. You know, Too soon.
0: <laughs> Sonoma's Sonoma, the city, is doing the marketing for you. Thank you, Mother yeah. Nature, in this rare instance.
2: Correct. Yes. <laughs>
0: Um, I was doing some research, Jill, and I actually found out that you apparently are a New York Times bestselling author. So congratulations to the other <laughs> Jill Gregory.
2: <laughs> you know, and I found that out a couple years ago, actually, when I was like an old college friend of mine was like, man, I looked you up and it was so great. I didn't know you wrote all these books, these novels. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Um, You're like, I didn't either. On that. <laughs> Very odd. But no, yeah. that is not me. I've, you know. Not not a novelist quite yet.
0: No, not quite yet. You think that's something you want to do down the road? I'm sure you got some stories to tell.
2: I probably do have some stories, but I'll probably keep them all in here and in, in my head until, uh, you know, maybe I retire.
0: <laughs> maybe the statute of limitations will pass eventually, huh?
2: Absolutely. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> we'll wait
0: for that day for sure. Um, so Jill, you came to Sonoma Raceway after a lengthy and really accomplished tenure out east in Charlotte with NASCAR. Buckle up, folks, because Jill's title and all the stuff that she did, it's going to make you want to take a long vacation. She was EVP, Chief Marketing and Content Officer. She dealt with marketing, media, communications, broadcasting, diversity and inclusion, digital platforms, the mobile app, fantasy. I'm just tired thinking about it. (laughs) My question to you is, how did you balance all of those things? And I know that over 13 or so years, you kind of took more onto your plate. You had some stuff that got shedded off of it, but that's a lot to take on in one specific role because you're wearing a lot of different hats and you did it all really, really well. So what was your secret?
2: Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, when you say it and list it out like that, it does seem a little daunting, but at the time I think it just felt like it made a lot of sense. One, I had an amazing team and the, m- many of them are still there. Um, You know, we had a really good chemistry. We worked with each other really well and we were kind of coming through it all together at the time when, you know, NASCAR was making some bold moves and we had the ability to maybe change the way that people thought about nascar and that kind of made it energizing so at the time i didn't really notice it but when i look back i'm like wow you must yeah. not have gotten any sleep and certainly didn't take any vacations <laughs> um but i think you know you kind of thrive on the adrenaline and it was just na- nice to be a part of it when you know we were able to do some things that made me proud
0: and you spent over a decade there i know you've been working in nascar and in motorsports for longer than that which we'll get to here in a minute but from when you walked in the door at NASCAR to when you walked out the door what are some of those changes that you saw tangibly that maybe you had your hand in but also you just kind of saw organically happen at the company
2: yeah i think what i might do is kind of start from you know the most recent and go back with a couple of stories sure. but you know i think the first thing was in 2020 managing through the pandemic and you know it's really odd to say that it was a good year because it definitely wasn't um you know it did the pandemic and how our lives changed you know certainly uh, was not a positive but what nascar was able to do and being a part of the leadership that was able to do this um i kind of think back and i know these dates so vividly i don't have to look at my notes or anything because Mm -hmm. you know when if you go back to march of 20 of 2020 and the nba stopped playing Mm -hmm. And, you know, two days, you know, then they, you know, canceled golf tournament and, you know, everybody sports and large spectator events just kind of went away. And when you're in the sports industry and you, your whole livelihood is based on large spectator events where fans are out enjoying themselves. And that wasn't an option at that time. It was, it was pretty scary. And the fact that we were able to kind of, take what was happening and one, figure out how to manage at that particular moment. So one of the things we did um, is that we really put the gas on iRacing, if you will, and created this virtual race and in our broadcast window, Um, that next week we put on a virtual race, um, and tried to fill the need, uh, the fans need for NASCAR by doing it virtually. And, you know, we probably would have taken years to get that through all the broadcast hurdles and all of that. But it was like, what will the drivers do it? Will Fox do it? Let's try it. So that was really cool. And then going back, you know, from the time we stopped racing to the time, that we went back racing or it was just, okay, how do we figure this out? What can we do? Is this, you know, is it dead? Are we out of business? Um, What's the solution? And being able to go back and convince at the time, kind of the local markets that we raced in, that we could host a NASCAR race without fans, but do it safely, um, that was a huge accomplishment. And I mean, they were, you know, we were, Basically, hunkered down in Daytona Beach and the NASCAR headquarter offices for, I mean, hours, you know, not 24 hours a day necessarily, but just a small group of people. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? And got back to racing a month, uh, two months later in Darlington. And I still, one of the things I'll always remember is Kevin Harvick won that race and he gets out of the car and he's in victory lane Mm -hmm. and there's nobody there and it's silent. And you can see him just kind of look around and say, wow where are the fans but we got the race on um and we gave people something to watch because that was the other thing for sports fans at that time there was nothing Mm -hmm. um so that was really kind of cool to be a part of just as stressful as it was and then kind of doing it even um, another month later with getting some fans back and working with our local markets and first responders and doing the um events you know at a very limited basis um and this was you know such an up and down year but i think that's when i look back on my career being a part of these huge decisions that at the time you didn't really know how strong and important they were going to be but being able to do it and then all of that culminating with what we were able to do in social justice you mentioned diversity and inclusion being part of of my responsibilities, that was hugely important. That was while all the protests around George Floyd's murder was going on, um, we banned the Confederate flag, we had a moment that maybe wasn't expected from NASCAR. And I think all of that um, just made me really proud to be a part of the sport and that we were affecting some change. So I think when you look at all of the things, um, you know, that you kind of look, uh, to accomplish in your career. I don't, that was not anybody's goal, um, but certainly how we responded to it was something that I think I can be really proud of.
1: Yeah,
0: definitely. and And it's kind of cliche to say too, because you were there for over 10 years, almost 15 years, right? And you accomplished so much. You had your hands in all these different areas, but it seems like almost one of the last things that you did with your tenure there seemed to be the most impactful to you personally. And also just to the industry at large, getting back to racing during COVID and all those DNI efforts and the progressiveness that you guys showed as a company. I mean, I, I understand that also recency bias is a thing, but at the right. same time, it's still, those, those reverberations are still being yeah. felt. And I don't think that you can really understate that. So the fact that you had a really big part and a pivotal role in having all of that come together, do you think that's probably one of, if not the main takeaways from your time over there?
2: I think so. I mean, I think something that, you know, whether it's conscious or not, that probably many of us look at when we're trying to evaluate things for those that do self-reflection is, you know, are you making an impact? Are you leaving something better than you found it? And, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't go to work every day thinking you're going to do that. Um, But when you look back at a body of work and you can say, wow, you know, As a result of kind of what we did, I see it in this market, you know, Sonoma, San Francisco, the Bay Area, California, not known to be the NASCAR hotbed, at least traditionally, you know, the gains that we're seeing in bringing new fans out here, growth in the San Francisco market, in the LA market, Um, you know, though we can't directly correlate that to any one event, but we are seeing people consider NASCAR differently and want to see if it's, for them, and what is it all about? And I think one of the things we always did at NASCAR was, you know, understand that once you have got someone to a racetrack and they saw everything, like, wow, how did I not know what this was all about? Yeah. This is so cool. I mean, you can only do so much of that. Um, but we were able to open a lot of eyes at the same time. We would joke like, you know, no one had, you know, NASCAR making a move in social justice on their bingo card for 2020. But we did it. So I think we're seeing the reaches, the far reaching effects of that um, in small ways and big ways. And so I think that's when you look at kind of your scorecard, you think, okay, I did something that might be longer than will outlive me in my career here in the sport.
0: Definitely, 100% agree. Let's, let's go back on the timeline a little bit, all the way back to when you kind of first got started professionally and in the industry. know you started as a regional sports director then we were an account director you did some sponsorships with Texaco um let's stop there for a minute was the sponsorships that you did with them was that motorsports related because when I hear Texaco I think of the sponsorships that they had in my era with you know Jamie McMurray and the 42 car but obviously Davey Allison pretty iconic there too so were you involved in the motorsports aspect of that
2: I was, and that was partly, obviously, because of the uh, their product set, right? So oil and gas, you know, lubricants, and I, you know, there's probably all this terminology that's buried in the back of my head that I can pull out <laughs> if I really need to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, motorsports was obviously a huge part of the portfolio. I was lucky. It also, that job, that role gave me a chance to move to Houston, move to New York City, Um, And Texaco's sponsorship portfolio had obviously NASCAR, IndyCar, NHRA, but we also at that time had the Olympics, the Metropolitan Opera, um, U.S. Open Tennis. Um, So I really got a taste or a fill of other sports, but, you know, the bread and butter at Texaco was in the motorsports program. And so it wasn't, um, you know, wasn't in the Davey Allison era, but, um, you know, a little bit further along than that Ernie Urban was a driver right when I started um, and Mm -hmm. kind of was at the tail end of his career then but um, you know the Andrettis you know I can say that I've taken a hot lap with Mario Andretti um, at co Lake which is an amazing track and you know if you ever have a chance you know with any race car driver they know what to do and they know what to expect if you've been taking a hot lap here at our racetrack and with the elevation and the turns you know, a hot lap at Daytona or Talladega is one thing. Um, but when you have no idea what's coming and you're not in control and someone right. else is in control, it's, I think, a little scary even with some of our racing school instructors. So um, Texaco kind of gave me my foot in the door. And I think like a lot of other businesses, racing is very relationship oriented, very networking and connection. So kind of once you're in, you're in. Uh, so I had the opportunity that the, you know, the further I got in my career, I grew my contacts and just kind of had natural relationships in racing, which again, did not set out to do being from California, but, right. um, it happened that way. And, um, you know, I've got to get the reap the benefits of that.
0: So then on the timeline, we go to GMR marketing and then NASCAR fans will recognize sprint. They'll recognize bank of America. You had some stops there. On the marketing teams as well before you ended up at nascar sprint kind of speaks for itself bank of america i believe they were the official bank or there was a credit card associated with their um branding with nascar so that was another stop along the way for you similar to what you did with texco it was just marketing in different ways for different and perhaps depending on how you look at it bigger brands within the sport it was kind of the same idea just different application does that kind of sound right
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think the Sprint, um, you know, if you had to put a circle around one of those um, that was really pivotal is, you know, Sprint and Nextel at the time, and they obviously got acquired by Sprint, but, you know, took over the 33-year sponsorship that Winston had in NASCAR. Kind of a big deal. So, yes. (laughs) When I went, I moved uh, to Charlotte to lead the team that was doing that transition. Every sign, every you know, ticket, every uniform, you know, logos, and you name it, we, there was a small group of us, some of who I work with to this day in various capacities, um, were on the team that managed that entire transition. So, you know, while I was, I wouldn't cut say on the fringe of NASCAR, I was definitely in it um but that was in it with both feet i mean we at at nextel and then sprint were involved in every single component of the sport and probably a little bit of a precursor to kind of the breadth of the um, areas that i handled at at nascar because um you know communications we had to do a product launch we had broadcast relationships we had signage we had customer hosting um really touched every piece of it and i think that you know, again, back to that networking and connections, you know, when you have to touch every part of the sport, I think that progression, and maybe I should have prognosticated this, you know, or um, predicted this um, at the time, but it kind of led me to that role at NASCAR while I didn't know it, obviously then.
0: Yeah. Professional transition by you, Jill. So then you do end up at NASCAR. We kind of talked about that a little bit earlier, spent over 10 years there. And then home came calling. You head back west to Sonoma Raceway. Um, Tell everybody why you made that decision, having a really successful tenure at NASCAR. It seemed like everything was going super, super well. And then to make that leap to Sonoma Raceway, still in the sport, obviously, and still doing similar things to what you had been doing with NASCAR. But when you boil it down to just why did you make the decision? Why did you?
2: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, it would probably have been the only job or role or you know career move that I would have considered at the time. Like you said, I had no reason to leave my team. We had a team that gelled. We had just come off this 2020 pandemic year, you know, better than you could have expected. Um, and so it really wasn't top of mind at all to leave or to even look for a new challenge. I, mean, I had plenty of challenges uh, right where I was. Um yeah. But I don't know. I think that, you know, there's a little bit of a, you know, something that's hard to pin down. I had heard, you know, my predecessor had been here for 29 years, very well thought of, um, but I had heard he was retiring. And whenever, uh, no one ever missed a Sonoma race on our team. So when we were out here, I would say, man, Steve, you've got the best job in all of motorsports. And then I heard... Um, again, we weren't, no one was traveling, we weren't coming to races, but I kind of just heard through the grapevine that he was going to retire at the end of 20. And there's just this little kind of thought in the back of my head, I wonder what they're going to do there. Um, You know, you've always said it's the best job. Um, You know, my family still lives locally, um, you know, not in Sonoma, but very close. Uh, Sometimes I feel like I run a mini Airbnb in my new house in Sonoma. (laughs) Um, But you know, driving distance go have dinner you know with my mom and dad go hit some golf balls with my dad you know go to the, my nephew's graduation you know I wasn't doing any of that yeah. um and I think at the time it wasn't you know I never looked at it as a oh here are all the things you're missing it was just I had my role I had my job I loved it um and I got to see my family a lot but it was just you know I didn't really do anything about it at the first time I had heard that this position was available. But then I heard it again, and, and I just thought to myself, wow, if you don't ask, maybe you're always going to regret, or they're going to hire someone else, and you're going to say, oh, well, shoot, I should have done something with that. Right. Um, so it was just this kind of a sense that I should kind of investigate it. And I think as I looked into it, and it happened really quickly, it was wow, what a great chance to keep all your relationships, your experience. You know, a lot of the people I deal with today. Um, are the same people I dealt with, you know, we are collaborating with uh, Sonoma Raceway and NASCAR more than we ever had as even as we come up to this race. Um, you know, the marketing team is helping, the communications team is is um, doing a lot. So I thought it was a perfect opportunity to do something a little bit different, but not too far astray, um, you know, from my comfort level. But it was a lot different in terms of the day-to-day so it's one thing to come out here um, and you know go wine tasting and then go to the race but it's another thing to be here every day and figure out the ins and outs of how to operate a facility and what to do so I think that's been kind of interesting it wasn't the reason I did it but it's been a nice challenge in terms of okay you kind of knew how to do things, you had a procedure, you knew who to go to for what and where all the bodies were buried. And so I've had to learn a lot, which has been kind of fun um, Mm -hmm. most days. Um, But you know, (laughs) it's also not too unfamiliar to where I had to learn an entirely different industry. So it was kind of that perfect storm of, you know, keeping a lot of the best things of what I did before, but also being able to spread my wings a little bit
0: right challenging and my mom's very there. happy
2: so you know
0: i'm sure she is and i'm sure <laughs> your dad's happy that he has someone to play golf with now yeah. and your nephew can see you it's all it's all good things yeah. and also you know i read somewhere that if you didn't work in nascar your dream job would to be a winemaker in napa or sonoma so i feel like you could potentially have a little side hustle going yeah. on. yeah i mean saying.
2: don't count me out i mean yeah look we've <laughs> you got may know someone people, there are all sorts of people that have their own wine brands and i'm like you know I could at least taste my way into seeing if it's something good. Yeah.
0: You know, For I sure. think you can get your hands on some of that wine they put in Victory Lane. just a hunch.
2: I think so. Well, I actually ended up wearing some of it last year, if you saw any of our
0: Victory Lane. <laughs> I did, yeah. Was that Larson who spit it in your face by accident? It was.
2: In fact, um, he sent me a really nice bottle of wine later, and he's like, <laughs> you know, here, apologies, and, you know, here, yeah. enjoy this wine and drink it. Don't wear it. So that was really yeah. nice.
0: The Gregory Reserve. I feel like That's that right. could go well. That's right.
2: Yeah. Yes. Well, there is a brand out here, just like the author. I don't know, but my mom <laughs> called me one day and she's like, did you already do your own wine brand? And there is a Gregory um, Vintage somewhere, no. but oh. not mine. Not not at least, not yet.
0: Okay. Okay. We'll come back to that. That'll be a okay. different episode. That's a follow-up. Yes, of course. Um, Jill, you, you were obviously named one of the most powerful women in sports. Uh, you've been named on that list multiple times. And when your name comes up, in the industry and outside of it, but still in sports, people always look to you and say your name as one of those people that in female empowerment and diversity and inclusion, you're at the top of the list. Do you feel that influential? Have you felt that influential throughout your career or has it been a situation where you're just kind of doing the job and everything else that comes with it is a bonus?
2: You know, I would say that probably the latter, at least until recently, and that recently by I meaning even before I came to Sonoma. But the last few years at NASCAR, when I was able, you know, to be one of the few females on that core leadership team, um, that you know, I had a lot of NASCAR uh, female NASCAR employees come to me and ask for advice. You know, I really started to have that epiphany that you know, there's a responsibility here that. You know, I was like put your head down and work, you know, I don't think about being the only woman in the room, like I just let my work speak for itself. All of those things, and I still think those things are true. Um, but it was the last couple of years where you know I was doing more uh, speaking engagements, and I had many female, um, you know, aspirational um, employees, whether it was in NASCAR or in just sports in general, saying, "Hey, at least I can see someone that is leading a team of the size or is at a major sports league." that is in a leadership position. So, I started to take it a little more seriously towards the end of my tenure at NASCAR because I could see that it was important to these young women to have someone to, you know, if you can see her, you can be her is the saying, if you don't have a lot of female leaders cuz I didn't have a lot when I was of working my way up so i did get a lot more involved um you know outside of nascar you know uh, with different organizations that promote uh, either female drivers or just women in sports there's a great organization nationally uh, called wise that really promotes women in sports and events and just kind of added that to the list of things that i needed to do Um, diversity was another piece of it you know really trying to take seriously the role that we had in creating employee resource groups and getting more involved in other areas of diversity, not just female-based, whether that was creating our LGBTQ um, ERG or coming up and designing some of our I Am NASCAR Pride merchandise. I felt like those were things that, yes, I had my day job, but it was also part of my role to look at how I could affect Um, some of those areas and actually deliver on it. So it was later in my career that I kind of that light bulb went off, but I still think it's important. And I want to bring that to Sonoma Raceway also.
0: I think you are. And I think you will. Um, And that's, that's great to hear. And it's awesome stuff that you continue to do and did for your time that ended at NASCAR. I know I got a couple more minutes with you. We got to talk a little bit more about the race weekend coming up and about Sonoma specifically, One of the best weekends of the year, always one of my favorites. I wish that I could get back out there this year. What do you do in your role to prep and how is this week different from the other 51 weekends of the year?
2: Well, I think that we really have to put on our Sunday best, um, if you will, or dust this place off. You know, we haven't raced here with a full capacity crowd since 2019. So for our core fans, you know, we no racing at all in California in 2020, um, which was kind of, you know, again, back to that moment where you're kind of wondering if the sport's going to go at the track level across the organization. It was like, this is what we do. We put on races. Uh, They couldn't do that here. And then we had 33% capacity in 21. So this is a coming out party. We need to one, remind the core fans what they missed about being out here as you mentioned you know it's one of your favorite tracks to come to so if you've been here before let's make sure you get all the things that you love about sonoma and then for new fans let's show them what we're all about you know we need to make sure that it looks like or it doesn't look like we haven't raced here since 19. It needs to look just as bit shined and polished as it would if we raced, you know, last weekend. So yeah. that doesn't happen in a week or two weeks. That's an ongoing process. So, you know, a lot of it is trying to organize all of the different departments here, listen to the fans on what they want. You know, the business has changed since we, um, you know, raced here with a full crowd. So, what do the fans of today want? And it's experience. They want fun and activities. And yes, they want racing, um, but that's not the only thing they want. You go into any event now, it's, okay, what else am I doing while I'm here? If I'm at a baseball game, you know, I want to be entertained. Give me my music. I want good food. We want all of those things at Sonoma Raceway. So we're going to remind everybody what they loved about it, and then hopefully open some new eyes um, about what Sonoma Raceway is all about.
0: Running the shoot again this year. I like that little change. The trucks are back for the first time since the late 90s. ARCA West is back there. It seems like at least all the way out here in D.C. on the East Coast, yeah. you can't really get much further. But it seems like out there, the vibe and the West Coast racing. I mean, we're hearing about a rising tide, lifting all boats, motorsports, positivity in America. It seems like that's hitting you guys out on the West Coast as well. The vibe out at Sonoma Raceway. Is it as good as it seems right now?
2: It is. I mean, I think that when we just get to open the doors and let everybody share their enthusiasm, but yeah, I mean, more action than ever before, you know, West Coast drivers, I think I saw a stat the other day that um, there are just as many drivers on the NASCAR circuit right now from California as there are from North Carolina. Yeah. Um, you know, this idea that, you know, nobody out in California cares about racing or motorsports, that couldn't be further from the California's truth. California is the
0: hotbed now.
2: Yeah. Car culture and everybody loves their fancy cars out here. You know, when we're not racing NASCAR, we've got a lot of them kind of tooling around up and down our track. So the vibe is good and people have missed it. So, you know, our big opportunity this weekend, uh, June 10th through the 12th, is showcase all of it. You know, like I said, if they loved it here before, there's e- it's even better than it used to be. And for people that haven't been, they're going to be blown away by what goes into a NASCAR weekend out here and how you get to do it in a place like Sonoma.
0: Right. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing all the action play out on TV and on radio, all the different platforms. Again, I wish I could be out there, but next year I'll have some, I'll have some Gregory Reserve. Hopefully you have some okay. for me and we'll listen to some old school hip hop. Cause I know you you're a fan of that. Oh, too. So yes, let's make it happen absolutely. in
2: 2023. What do you say? I It's
0: a date. Let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Jill, thank you so much for the time. I know you're busy. Like I said, it was great to catch up with you and learn a little bit more about your story. Looking forward to what you guys can cook up this weekend
2: great
0: thank you thanks for having me and we're back what a chat like i said amazing woman amazing story amazing job that she's doing out at sonoma raceway and i know that she will continue to do so far and beyond as this podcast rolls on and even though they may only have one nascar weekend a year they are plenty plenty busy throughout the calendar year all 52 weeks they got stuff going on out there and i'm sure that jill gregory will be on top of it as always. So thank you to Jill for the time, and thank you to Jeff Motley of Sonoma Raceway for helping coordinate that conversation as well. Great to catch up with you, Jill. And Jeff, I'm sure I'll be seeing you soon, my friend. Let's chat about the Coca-Cola 600. What a race! My God! The longest race in NASCAR history. Literally, though. Like, we know 600 miles is always the longest race of the year, but by mileage, this was actually, literally, the longest race ever in the Cup Series. Double overtime, 619 and a half miles around Charlotte Motor Speedway. And I gotta say, you guys know my thoughts on shortening races, shortening the season. This one, I'm fine with leaving, and I was fine with leaving it the way it is heading into the weekend. You know, if they made it to 600K, I wouldn't, I wouldn't moan about that. But I think that this proves, with the next-gen car, at least for now, a race of attrition, long races they can provide really entertaining shows and it felt really long it did feel like a 5 plus hour race don't get me wrong but i wasn't bored and i wasn't mad about how long i was sitting on the couch or on my computer and listening to the race watching the race because it was so entertaining throughout the entire race right 18 cautions countless comers and goers and lead changes and spins and tire issues it was just really, really good. And I know that people talk about quintessential NASCAR being at Bristol or Martinsville and short track and beating and banging. I'm not going to say that this Coke 600 was quote unquote quintessential NASCAR, but I will say it's pretty damn close. Like it had an old school feel to it just because of the amount of cautions, the amount of lack thereof, of grip that these drivers were spinning out and I mean, you had crazy wrecks, too. Chris Buescher flipping over. Glad he's okay, and hopefully he recovers from COVID-19. Breaking news as of this recording, he's not going to be in the car this weekend at Gateway. Zane Smith's going to fill in, but that flip was insane. Joey Logano and one of the wrecks in overtime, I don't think people covered it enough, but he hit a ton. Driver's side door straight into the wall. He was okay. Austin Dillon and Daniel Suarez both really quick were involved in wrecks late in the going. And again, there were some tire issues and that needs to be rectified, but I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm going to dwell on the fact that this race, albeit so long and maybe a little bit too long for my taste, usually was not this year. And I think that's just a product of the next gen car, an intermediate track, Charlotte's racing surface getting a little bit more worn out, all of those things coming together and making a good meal. All those different ingredients make a tasty meal, right? And that's what we had for the Coke 600. I was really, really pleased, pleasantly surprised with the racing that we saw. And again, when I woke up early to watch Monaco and I watched the Indy 500 and I sat down with a nice cold Coke and I was getting ready to watch 600 miles, A, I didn't expect it to be over 600 miles and B, I didn't expect it to be this good, but man, it really was. It's off to St. Louis and the Pacific Northwest this upcoming weekend. Worldwide Technology Raceway Gateway and Portland International Raceway for the Xfinity Series. First time to each place for Cup and Xfinity, which should make for an interesting show. Let's focus on Gateway first and foremost. Gateway is obviously a track that has hosted and continues to host the Truck Series, also the Arkham Menard Series. But there's a lot of drivers that are in the Cup field. And again, Cup, the first race in Cup's history at Gateway. There's a lot of Cup drivers that have had experience at Gateway and won at Gateway. Kevin Harvick did so in Xfinity and Trucks back in the early 2000s and 2010. Martin Truex Jr. won there. Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, Bubba Wallace, Cole Custer as of late. Don't forget Christopher Bell. Justin Haley did it in 2018. And Ross Chastain did it recently in 2019. There are also a handful of drivers that have never raced in a NASCAR national series event at gateway. That means that they still perhaps may have ran in the K pro series in Arca, but they have not run in trucks, Xfinity or cup. Most notably Kyle Larson, also Corey LaJoy, chase Elliott, Parker Kligerman, who's making his Rick Ware racing debut in the cup series this weekend. AJ Allmendinger, who's going to be doing double duty in gateway and Portland going to be flying all all over the place. Um, Zane Smith, obviously, filling in for Chris Busher, who had no experience heading into Gateway, Ty Dillon, Alex Bowman, Cody Ware, Josh Balicki, BJ McLeod, and Daniel Suarez as well. So there's going to be a lot of differentiation between the amount of experience that some guys have, some guys don't have, and whether or not that'll come into play because the facility's been renovated, the track's been repaved. We'll see if that really plays a difference in terms of how the racing plays out and whether or not drivers or teams have an upper hand. You know, you can obviously simulate this track. You can go on iRacing. You can do what you got to do. One place where you can't do that, though, is Portland because it's not on iRacing. There's not a whole lot of sim time that you can get at this racetrack. And there hasn't been a NASCAR National Series event at Portland since 2000. It was a truck race. And Andy Houston, yeah, Andy Houston, blast from the past, won that race. So it's been over two decades since the NASCAR has been back in the Pacific Northwest. ARCA has raced there in recent years. IndyCar, Champ Car has raced there in recent years, but NASCAR has not. And I think that it's important to try to establish a base in the Pacific Northwest, whether that's Denver. I know that's not really the Pacific Northwest. Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, some of these areas that are in the upper Northwest area of the United States it is greatly, greatly underserved. And I know firsthand that there are a ton of race fans out there. You guys know I covered KN West for the better part of two and a half or so years. I've been to Evergreen. I've been to Douglas County. I've been to Meridian. I've been to all these racetracks out on the West Coast in the Pacific Northwest. And these, I know that they're short tracks, but they sell out and they show out because there are rabid race fans that love motorsports. And they love NASCAR. They would go to anything, but they don't have a lot of NASCAR out there. That's why when NASCAR comes on a local short track basis to their venue, once, maybe twice a year, they pack the place because they know that they have limited time to see NASCAR stock cars race in their area. So they got to make the most of it. That area is greatly underserved. And I think that it would behoove NASCAR. And I think they know that too, to try to expand their footprint further out there on the West Coast and in the Northern area of the West Coast. I mean, I'm spitballing here and I love spending other people's money, but how about a street race in Denver? That'd be pretty cool, right? A little bit of tie to Pikes Peak or something like that. What about doing that in Portland? You could do a street race in Portland, maybe. I don't know. Boise, I don't know if NASCAR wants to go to Idaho or Seattle would be a really cool venue. You'd probably be racing in the rain for sure. Vancouver, there's a lot of different possibilities. and. Again, I know that it's really easy to say, well, we should do this and we should do that and spend other people's money, but NASCAR has shown that they are willing to try new things. And going to Portland, that's a new thing. Going to Gateway, that's a new thing. Racing in the LA Coliseum, that's a new thing. So I think that we're gonna see them continue this trend of being progressive, being on the cutting edge and trying new things. And I think going to Portland, going to Gateway, those are two really, really good new things. So I will pump the brakes on my ideas, but I think that for now, this weekend, it'll be great to see new venues on the Cup Series and Xfinity Series schedules. The one thing that I wish was different is I wish that Portland was able to stand alone and not go up against Gateway, which is a new venue for the Cup Series. Like, Imagine if Gateway had its own weekend in the sun and Portland also had its own weekend in the sun. I know that the one-off weekend for Cup The Truck Series is also in action at Knoxville, but something uh, there could have been probably something done where the Xfinity Series was in Portland while they were on the West Coast Swing, and NASCAR, the Cup Series, was at a track that they usually go to, and they could have had a little bit more spotlight on them, but I won't be too nitpicky. New markets are a great thing. New tracks are a great thing. The thing is, they need to come at the expense of other tracks, so that's gonna be something to watch moving forward in terms of Let's go to a new track. Well, we need to get rid of an old track. And maybe a track that has two dates is going to go back down to one. Or a track that has had a date is not going to have a date on the next year's schedule. So just something to think about moving forward. And I know it's only June. Only June. It's like halfway through the year. But we'll see how the 2023 schedule takes shape. I don't know when we're going to see that. But I would expect to in the next few months. Probably towards the back half of the summer. That'll wrap things up for episode 150 of Victory Lane 2.0. If you guys like what you heard here today, please, please, please do me a favor. It takes no time. Leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud. We are available everywhere. And leaving a rating and a review, it helps me out because it spreads the word to other people in the podcast realm that, hey, this show's good. This dude's good. Good stuff good content, you should listen because word of mouth only goes so far and, you know, me just spewing out the fact that I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread, shout out Joey Logano. Ah, Frank, only goes so far. So please help me out there. I so, so appreciate it. Again, I appreciate Joe Gregory for hopping on this week and I appreciate you for listening and tuning in once again. We'll catch you back next week with another guest from the world of motorsports where we will recap Gateway in Portland preview Sonoma, the home of Jill Gregory. Catch you next week, party people. Be good.